there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because, baby, you might need a seatbelt when I ride it. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies! Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at Fitness Central. Quick reminder, make sure you're following us on all our socials, but especially on Twitch where we play games, Marvel's Avengers, and right now I'm working through Injustice 2. The link to the Twitch channel is in our show notes. Lots of episodes of Mike's Thick Stack just dropping for you continuously, day after day, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We're going to skip the city shoutouts for the next few episodes, just to keep things moving. So, as always, we start by rating the thickness of my stack. So, let's blast off to check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. So thick this week, I call it Thicky Lake. Oh, you have so many of those, you guys just don't even know. This week clocks in at an 8 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. Good God, girl. Thick. Dummy thick. In case you're curious, the stack this week has a Marvel advantage. This week, of course, we will go ahead and begin with those Marvel books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 54. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. This issue picks up right where the last issue left off with Pete and Harry face-to-face. Pete appeals to the better nature of Harry, and Harry responds by saying he doesn't want anyone else to get hurt, which is why he needs to stop Peter. Peter begins a personal attack, as well as a physical one, which ends up being fruitless. Kindred tells Pete that this is far worse than death, and then proves it by killing him over and over again. He shows him the results of his actions, starting with Kindred bringing back Sin Eater, who is now imbued with Moreland's powers, and stalking the Order of the Web, who are looking to rescue Peter. Kindred has been asking Spider-Man to confess for several issues, claiming that he can bring this all to an end. But now Pete sees his friends and MJ at the cemetery where Sin Eater is, all clearly in a high amount of danger. I'm a little confused about where this story is supposed to go and exactly what Kindred's motivations are. Additionally, I'm really missing Patrick Leeson out on art here. Bagley's art kind of threw me off a bit. It's like there's no distinction between Harry and Norman Osborn, which is problematic for me. I hope the finale makes this all worth it. Next up, we have Avengers number 39. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Here's the prologue to the next arc called Enter the Phoenix. This is really about those 1 million BC Avengers and their Phoenix counterpart. It starts with the story of a baby abandoned and raised by wolves. This little red-haired girl is feral, but is part of the pack of wolves. She returns to the place where she was abandoned and finds another abandoned baby about to be attacked by vultures. When she stops them from killing the baby, she's approached by someone that she eventually calls High Walker, who has telepathy and probably telekinesis. She eventually joins his tribe without fear, a tribe of outcasts and genetic mutations. They're eventually attacked by normal humans, and despite Highwalker trying to use his abilities to keep hostilities from escalating, Firehair, as she's being called, has a psychic outburst which kills everyone. She goes to surrender herself to death, and the phoenix comes and possesses her. Years later, she makes her way to Asgard with her pack of wolves and tells Odin that she's putting a team together and sees if he's interested. 
I love how this story develops and the solid nature of the art here. In most places, the art is jaw-dropping, but there are a couple of panels here and there that could have used a little extra work, but it's still amazing through and through. I'm hoping that this really lives up to its promise here. Next, we have Captain Marvel number 24. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. As I read this issue, I had some suspicions, and they paid dividends by the end. The team is given places to relax as Ove has requested Carol's presence at dinner. At dinner, we get Ove's backstory about him being Namor's son, not Namor like I thought uh, last time we had a Captain Marvel issue. The world goes to shit and Atlantis thrives, but a rogue faction rises and kills Namor. Ove escapes with his mom to the surface and rebuilds. After dinner, Carol and her team go to the basement and find magic chained by mystical means that she can't break out of. Ove and his mother, who happens to be Enchantress, ambush the team and send their forces after him. A fight breaks out and Carol is captured and pummeled into unconsciousness by a mind-controlled Luke Cage, and then chained up by Ovin Enchantress. I'm happy to finally get an exposition dump so I can feel a little less lost. This issue held a lot. Action, an unexpected reveal that I'm happy I figured out before it happened, and the hero in an impossible situation. I regularly look forward to this book, and this week was no exception. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, number 9. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Hey, remember when Star-Lord died a few issues back? Well, so does Al Ewing, and he's taken the opportunity to rewrite Peter Quill's origin and legacy and inject a little mystery. This book jumps around from Peter waking up in the hospital with his element gun as a kid, and then we see his quote-unquote death. Then we see Peter go through 12, quote, houses, unquote, as the book calls them. Uh, beginnings, possessions, communication, home, play, health, partnerships, death, rebirth, ideas, life's work, community, and finally endings. The story goes over 144 years, and Peter changes on all this time as Mornis or the world beyond the sun. He falls in deep with two characters, Moors and Aradia, who are nomads. They take a mercenary lifestyle together, and kind of like the Guardians, but Moors and Aradia are in a polyamorous relationship as well, and they want Peter to join it too, which he eventually does after about 12 years. Speaking of which, the number 12 and its multiples show up over and over again in this issue. He eventually goes up against the gods because his weapon has stolen their power. In an effort to get away from them, he comes back to 616 Marvel Universe, but not before the power that's been influencing his life tells him that he is a true Star-Lord, a master of the sun and solar system. He drops on a planet basically in front of Rocket, who is super surprised to see him. He tells him to turn around, and closing quickly is one of Null's dragons. I really like this issue, and I thought there was so much cool storytelling. I also loved how it focused exclusively on Peter. I really enjoyed much of the art in this issue, especially all of the phases that Pete goes through visually, as well as his element gun. Just a super fun issue. Up next, we have King in Black, Namor number one. I give this a three and a half out of five. This is a weird issue to me. It, it's a tie-in to King in Black, obviously, but it focuses on a young Namor and the swift tide. Namor is as arrogant and impulsive as ever, which is the best version of Namor in my mind. He's surrounded by Dorma and Atuma for most of the issue. Namor spends part of the issue learn, learning like royal niceties and dealing with Atuma, who clearly he does not like. That is interrupted by the attack of a rebel group. 
The swift tide goes to defend the ceremony that is happening, and they are almost flanked, if not for the quick thinking and decisive actions of Namor, Dorma, and Atuma. They beat back the incursion and get invited on a mission with the swift tide to recover the unforgotten stone, which has a dark and vile power. Then it comes back to present day with Namor. I'm imagining the stone has something to do with Null, but I'm not sure. This issue is a, is a cool read because it was sort of out of continuity, but I need something different and more direct out of a tie-in event. I'm sure it'll eventually get there, and I hope it's significant as a result. But I do like the art style here, namely because the Kingdom of Atlantis gives us a look that we don't always get to see, and it's really pretty in this issue. Next up, we have Marauders, number 16. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. This is a great issue, and just maybe my favorite book of the week. Basically, this is a full-on revenge issue against Sebastian Shaw. Kitty and Emma confront and frankly beat the shit out of Shaw after taking away his mutant powers temporarily. The White and Red Queens take the opportunity to extort Shaw to make him pay for killing Kate. There's an excellent comedic nine-panel page in an where in an attempt to escape, Shaw jumps out a window and is immediately dragged back in by Kate. He goes on a spiel about how he proved that Kate was a mutant when Storm and Lockheed show up, and it gets rough for Shaw here. Lockheed takes his eye and rightfully so for attempting to drown him. Kate offers a drink as a peace offering, but it's laced with Verendi poison, and they tell him they're going to take their answer at the quiet council meeting the next morning. They take a vote to find out what happened to Shaw, which is deadlocked, with two members being taken off the council during the crossover. I can't wait to see where this goes. This might be my favorite X book currently. Oh yeah, it's friggin' beautiful. I, I love the art in this book. I'm hoping Stefano Caselli stays on this book for the foreseeable future. Next up, we have Spider-Man number 5. I give this a 3 out of 5. This is the final issue in the J.J. and Henry Abrams penned miniseries. Peter's been captured and is being used by bait by Cadaverous, and it worked because Ben has been captured and used to help recover Minka with his unique blood. Ben is rescued by one of the cyborgs, I guess, and Ben steals the serum so he can now save his dad. They get rescued by Iron Man, and they join the fray against Minka with Ironheart and Faye. The serum gets lost in the battle, and it's found by the cyborg, who's revealed to be MJ to Peter. Peter gives her the cure, and she recovers, but Peter's still dying. His organs are failing, but as they are looking to leave the bridge, the Parker family's spider sense goes off in a really cool panel at the same time, and Pete pushes Ben and MJ off the bridge to safety before the bridge explodes. The issue ends with Tony leaving MJ and Ben their own spider suit. I didn't love the series. This issue was better because it was more succinct and to the point, but overall it wasn't great. I did like the art because it was so cool with all the different designs going on. I don't know what I expected from this series, but this just didn't strike my fancy. Next up we have Sword Number 1. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is the final Marvel book on this episode, and it's a new X book. I know, it's like they don't have enough somehow. Sword is about a mutant space program that is helmed by Abigail Brand. The f this first issue is all about showing off what Sword has to offer through the lens of Magneto. They definitely need some help getting going, and Magneto is more than willing to help as he moves a thousand ton space station through space while doing his inspection. Just a little tease of his power. He goes through all of the departments, technology and engineering, logistics, medical and energy resources, diplomacy and negotiation, security, and observation and analysis. There are so many layers to this book, 
and that is exciting. Between dropping hints about the Kree Skrull Empire, Null, Scarlet Witch, and a dedicated mutant presence in space speaking for Soul, there's a lot in this oversized issue. However, the biggest part of this team is the six and their roles. Control, Power, Shield, Guide, Eye, and Foundry. Those roles were filled by WizKid, Fabian Cortez, Armor, Manifold, Peeper, and Risqué. They go on a mission to bring back an item that seems to be quite powerful, and it clearly impresses Magneto. Because this is written by Al Ewing, I'm imagining another big cosmic tie-in to Guardians, and I wouldn't be surprised if they crossed paths. I will admit I didn't love the art here. Some of the faces were pretty bad to me, but I was so engrossed by the story that it didn't throw me off that much. I can't wait to keep this one going, especially because I love mutants and big cosmic space stories. All right, quick break, and then we're going to jump into the DC books, y'all. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page. Check out the link in the description, and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. Oh yeah, we're back. Stretch it out. Hope you got to stretch your legs. Maybe check out that T Public page. We'll see. All right, up first in the DC stuff, we have Detective Comics number ten thirty two. I gave this a four out of five. This is picking up right where last issue left off. Hush has the Bat family captured and paralyzed. Their vocal cords, of course, allowing him to monologue. His intention is to kill them all, simply to hurt Bruce, and then to donate their organs all to people who need them, which is noble, I guess? Meanwhile, Batman is busy tracking down Damien's base of operations. Damien gets the drop on him and starts another fight towards his dad, which ends with them crashing through a rooftop and falling to the floor. Meanwhile, Christopher Nakano goes for an eye implant, but upon finding out it's been paid for by Bruce Wayne, he freaks the fuck out about not being bought and gets it immediately taken out. After Bruce finds Damien, he reaches out to the family but gets no response. Knowing that they've been taken, Damien and Bruce move for their captor. I'm excited to see another Batman and Hush showdown. I like this book, especially the focus around Nakano. It's more of a street-level book, which I think is better just than what's going on in the main Batman title. I also enjoy the look of this book. It's been pretty strong for a while, but this really works for this story. Next up, we have... Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe number 1, I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. I really enjoyed this book, but mainly because, selfishly, it put the Titans at the core. It's another multi-story anthology-style book for Death Metal before the end of the series. The first story wraps around everything else and centers a lot on the Titans drama, particularly Wally killing Roy back in Heroes in Crisis. The next story is a Green Lantern story that essentially involves Hal forgiving Sinestro's sins and allows him to rejoin the Green Lantern Corps. The following story is the story of Diana having a moment of self-doubt and crisis before being inspired by another world's Donna Troy. 
The next story may be my second favorite. It's a Green Arrow Black Canary story that has Ollie and Dinah having trying to have a date anyway before they go have that this big fight. But they eventually meet their daughter from another Earth, which helps Dinah find her commitment back to the cause. As it turns out, Ollie was going to propose, but the timing with Dinah never was his strong suit. The story after that is one being told from Aquaman's point of view uh, as a letter to his, his child. It's basically saying goodbye and how to grow in his possible absence. It's quite touching, as a father anyway. The next story is Batman saying goodbye to the Bat family in his own way. He even goes as far as to be an impromptu, unasked-for officiant for Batgirl and Nightwing. He knows he's dying and is attempting to say goodbye, but he's not very emotionally adjusted. The next story is a Superman story that's badass, honestly. He uses a crawl device to travel back in time one hour, thousands of times, to be everywhere Superman is needed, finally ending up with his family when the device burns out. It finally pulls itself back to the Titans, who unite under one banner, set to face down the coming battle. I really enjoyed this. These stories set to distill the, the essence of these heroes just down to just a few pages and panels, and it succeeds wildly. And every story is beautifully illustrated. Every single one. It's wild. Probably one of the best tie-in issues I've seen for an event in a very long time. All right, we'll hit a couple of Endless Winter stories here, starting with Endless Winter, The Flash, number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This picks up in the past where we left Black Adam at the end of last issue. Then it quickly focuses on The Flash again. He's doing all he can, but he's starting to slow down because of the cold. In Condock, he gets overtaken, but then he's rescued by Black Adam, who earlier in the issue tells the UN to make the JL get its shit together or he will. Barry wakes up and exchanges info with Black Adam. Black Adam recharges Barry with a lightning bolt, and Barry races off to find Iris. She's safe, and Barry runs off again to join the fray. I like how quickly this issue reads and how focused on the event it really is. I appreciate that. The artist is still the Flash artist, with the exception of the flashback artist, which I think is a normal thing for these. I like how it looks generally, but the faces are a little long, but that's a minor complaint. Next, we have Endless Winter, Superman special number one. I gave this a three out of five. This opens with the same flashback artist from the first two chapters of the story telling the origin of the Frost King, and it's pretty disturbing, honestly. He's attacked by his town folk, and they end up killing his son, which pushes him over the edge. The rest of the story is narrated by a Lois Lane column as Superman goes around the world fighting off ice monsters. Eventually, he realizes that even he needs a break, and he goes back to Smallville, where Crypto has been protecting the Kent farm. It recharges both his spirit and his body. Finally, in Gotham, the crystals that were removed from the Arctic are attempting to be used for nefarious purposes, but they find three living beings inside the crystal. I'm happy this series is so tightly distributed, because I'm not sure that I would care so much if I had to wait a month for this to come out. There's a very Tim Sale-style quality to the art that I don't hate at all, especially when Clark's face is in shadow, but his eyes are glowing red. Pretty sweet. Next up, we have Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Flashpoint number one. I gave this a four out of five. One of the things I love here is that it's written and illustrated by Brian Hitch, which provides a level of continuity that many stories have a difficulty achieving. Like Wonder Woman last episode, this is a dark take on Flashpoint. Barry attempts to give himself the speed force again like in flashpoint but instead it kills him and thawn shows up he discovers exactly what's happened by looking at thomas wayne's memories and immediately goes to work 
He goes to the White House and takes over and solves the conflict between the Atlanteans and Amazonians by killing Aquaman and telling Diana to stay away from America. Batman, Cyborg, and Superman move to take Thawne down, but Superman's no-killing sets off a series of events that ends with him dead and an invasion. Then, Thawne goes back in time, saves Bruce and Martha, and lives as Flash in an alternate timeline. Again, I really enjoyed the twist on the timeline that we had before. I like that Barry isn't even remotely a threat. I like that Thawne is his usual prickish self, and I love that Thomas tries to take him out and fails, and a bigger threat presents itself right away. I'm hoping all these tie in together eventually. A huge bonus is having the artist and the writer be the same person. Presentation perfectly complements the story. Finally here, we have Wonder Woman number 768. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. Turns out Max Lord is still alive, which gets revealed at the top of the issue. But he's barely hanging on. Etta and Diana decide it's time to check in on Emma, who's broken out of the uh, uh, insane asylum that she was in. Meanwhile, Deathstroke comes for the files that Etta has obtained, and it spawns a fight between him and Diana. Diana eventually gets him to stand down, despite the massive bounty Slade was being paid. Emma gets her bunny back from Diana's apartment, and then finds out that Max is still alive. She goes to the hospital to finish the job while hallucinating that she's a knight, with a talking bunny as Diana shows up. This was a weird story, and not really in a good way. The saving grace for this issue, for me, is that Deathstroke battle. Liar Liar falls flat as a character for me, so breaking up the monotony with Slade versus Diana was helpful. Visually, that battle takes the cake. Honestly, whatever they do with Diana's hair takes the win here, if we're being honest. It somehow always looks incredible. So to start to wrap up here, if you want to be on the show, hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. Looking ahead to next week, I'm really looking forward to reading uh, on the Marvel side, Avengers number 40, Mortal Hulk number 41, and King of Black number 2. On the DC side, Batman 105, Detective Comics 1033, and the Endless Winter stuff. And the next one's going to be dummy thick, you guys. Just make sure you don't miss it. We've got some awesome stuff on YouTube, so make sure you have subscribed so you don't miss any of our content, specifically our live show. We have some new merch on TeePublic, so check the link in the show notes to get your hands on our sweet, sweet gear. This is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform, or you can just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform, Facebook, The Gram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, check out that OnlyFans, baby. Mmm, yeah. Make sure you tune into our live show weekly every Thursday, either on thetwistedcape.com or on YouTube, and hop in them comments. We go over those during and at the end of each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us some feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com, and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, fuck me till the daylight. Stay safe, wear a mask, Get that vaccine and stay twisted. Fix that.